Welcome to another Kundalini Conversation. My guest today is Joe DeRiso. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I've been looking forward to this discussion. Me too, and it's my pleasure. So I'll, I'll let the audience know a little bit about how we were connected and one of the reasons that we've you know invited you on the show today. Uh, a mutual friend had, re- had uh, mentioned that he was uh, chatting with you about Kundalini Awakening and, and Sufism, and I thought, oh, there's a, somebody on the Sufi path that's gone through Kundalini Awakening. I've got I've to chat with them. Because the intention of this work, this series, um, one of my my values, you could say, is that I'm not the final word on the matter. And mm-hmm. this is not strictly a Hindu, yogi, Indian, Sanskrit type phenomena. It's a universal human experience. And so we see all these traditions around the world that have some form of a spiritual transformation, uh, you know, at the at the heart of it. And and Sufism, of course, absolutely does. And and so I'm really excited to dive into your your journey and and what Sufism has has meant to you and and the ways that those practices have served you. I think that they will most definitely serve a lot of us on the path, yeah. <clears throat> uh, especially the embodiment practices. Sufism, you know, has such a strong emphasis on being in the world, exactly. bringing our awakening yes. into the world. And I think you're you're a stellar example of that uh, through your journey. Um, you recently did a, an interview with the Kundalini Collective, which is uh, an mm-hmm. organization that that brings together people that are going through Kundalini Awakening. Great, uh, great initiative there. I invite everybody to check it out. And so, on that interview, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed your story and and the uh, the experiences that you shared uh, leading up to your awakening and and after and and all of the interesting things that you've experienced in your life. I invite everybody to check out uh, Joe's interview on the Kundalini Collective uh, for a deeper dive into Joe's story. But today, I think we'll pick up at uh, you know this the, the Kundalini Awakening itself, and then we'll explore a little bit of the uh, the nuances around the Sufi exploration, uh, just to keep things fresh and new and exciting for all the listeners out there. So, with that said, Joe, <clears throat> thanks thanks again for joining us. Why don't you take us? You know, leading up to this moment of what we would call Kundalini awakening or Kundalini rising, give us a little bit of context and, and describe this experience to us. Right. It was um, well. It occurred. I'm I'm 73 years old. Uh, the awakening occurred in 1976. I was 26 years old, and in the year prior to that event, I uh, had just gone through a uh, devastating divorce. I had uh, changed the career direction that I was in. I discovered dance. I became involved with the Self-Realization Fellowship and started meditation through that group organization. And then <clears throat> was only meditating for probably about four or six months through the teachings of the Self-Realization Fellowship. And I uh, was living in Detroit at the time, working for a computer uh, hardware software company, Burroughs. And I uh, was in a food co-op and I saw a sign for uh, Kundalini Yoga. And I had one Hatha Yoga class prior to that. Um, didn't know about Kundalini Yoga. I was uh, being led by Yoshi, Yogi Bhajan. I didn't know who he was. So, uh, and it was just a weekend uh, work, workshop, one one session on Saturday, one on Sunday. And um so I, I I went and just I don't remember the details of all that he taught during those those uh, periods, but 
I remember incorporating some of the postures that I learned from him with my evening routine where I was doing some dance stretches, other exercises, and then I would meditate a little bit. So I was at this point practicing one of the postures, the poses that I learned from Yogi Bhajan. And it was simple. I had my hands behind my back. I uh, bent over, uh, extended my arms up over my head, held that down there for a, a couple seconds, and then slowly rose up to an upright position and then lowered my my arms. And, and just as I lowered my arms, uh, uh, I don't know, describe it as a ball of energy, just rose up from the base of my spine up to my head. And uh, when it reached the the, the the top of my head, uh, instantaneously, I was immersed in a in a brilliant white light. Um, it was uh, I didn't see the light. There was only light. There was no sensory perceptions and uh, really no ego awareness. It was a you know a different state of consciousness, and that only lasted I I don't remember ten or fifteen seconds, and then I kind of returned to my you know, normal ego awareness as, as if you're waking up from a sleep, you, you wake up to, to the present moment. And I, uh, I wasn't scared or afraid or confused. I knew I had been united with God and uh, just felt tremendous peace afterwards. Incredible, incredible. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's the, uh, the moment that we all love to hear about, you know, this <laughs> incredible energy rising. Of course, there's so much to follow that we'll get into, but I'm just curious, you know, you said you attended this two-day uh, event with Yogi Bhajan, uh, you know, he's the the founder of Kundalini Yoga uh, here in the West. Um, when this experience happened to you, did you know that it was Kundalini Awakening? No, I, um, I had no, I didn't, never seen the word basically kundalini at all uh, other than kundalini yoga which i didn't really know what it was i i vaguely remember it had uh i think from his discussions talking about chakras you know i think some of the postures were emphasizing chakras but uh i didn't <laughs> this this is almost unbelievable it wasn't until 20 years later that i knew that what happened was a kundalini awakening because after I, well, it is taught as part of the Self-Realization Fellowship teachings, but I got away from that uh, path uh, soon after I had the awakening because I felt like I achieved what, what they were looking for, which was self-realization. And, and I needed something else other than, than that path. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I never mentioned it to... Uh, anyone in the Sufi group, uh, you know, I never talked about it, never read about it. You know, in fact, the, the day after it happened, I went to work. I remember it was on a Sunday evening and I went to work. It was a Monday and I saw one of my coworkers. He says, hey, Joe, what's new? And I'm thinking, well, I was united with God yesterday, but I decided not to say that. I just said, oh, not much. What's new with you? So, yeah. And I think the, the fact that I had no uh, confusion, trauma, it, I had already kind of changed the course of my life in the prior year, and that didn't really alter where I was going, what I was intending on doing, and what was important to me. And uh, slowly, I think the effects of that awakening, that change in consciousness became apparent, you know, as, as time went on. Um, and then once I... Uh, I, <clears throat> I was at a bookstore, and I uh, saw uh, reading... 
uh, perusing books in the spirituality section, and I came across one of Gopi Krishna's books, and I picked it up and started paging through it, and I was reading what he described, and I was like, oh my goodness, that's what, that's what happened with me, and so... Yeah, and that was that was probably about 25 years ago. And since then, I I tried to become a little more informed about the Kundalini process. I connected with uh, one online group where there was a brief exchange of emails, but uh, not much. And then it's really just been through the shutdown of the pandemic that I got online and started exploring what well what who else is talking about this? What are they? What's their experiences? So yeah, it's been a uh, a re remarkable uh, discovery to come across so many people now. You know, back then it was pretty much unknown. You know, we didn't have the internet and no one talked about it. Uh, and then once I got invo involved with the Sufi group, um, it just wasn't a part of that 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 path. Interesting. Really fascinating how, you know, like you're saying, it took you over two decades to figure out that you had a Kundalini awakening. Yeah. Uh, this seems to be somewhat, I don't want to say universal, but very common amongst people that go through Kundalini awakening to not know that they had a, had an awakening at all, um, or to not know that it was Kundalini. Even for myself, right. I had a similar rising experience, and I was aware of Kundalini awakening. I knew what it was. I was hanging around with teachers that had gone through it. But when it happened to me, it took me two weeks to say, oh, oh it actually happened to me. You know? <laughs> I mean, I'm lucky, I guess it only took me two weeks, but um, yeah. there's uh, a great author by the name of Dr. Yvonne Kaysan. Uh mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to have her on the show uh, sometime this summer as well. And and she actually had a Kundalini awakening in meditation, had a calling to go to India to connect with Gopi Krishna and was mm -hmm. with Gopi Krishna, who was at the time, I guess, one of the most yeah. you know uh, vocal about Kundalini awakening. And even in his presence connecting with him she didn't realize that she had an awakening herself she didn't connect the dots so yeah. there's something interesting about you know maybe we're 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 meant to only have it make sense to us after we go through a certain journey mm -hmm. and so why don't you take us through a little bit of the the journey of, of exploration and maybe finding sufism that followed this energetic right. experience yeah. you had well in um well, I was up in Detroit at the time, and then, uh, well, I was pursuing dance. I was an apprentice with a modern dance company up in Detroit, which didn't work out for a number of reasons. And I moved back to my home city, Pittsburgh, and um, I was attending um, dance workshops, various places. And I went to one in 1980 at the uh, Omega Institute in New York State, uh, or, yeah, and um I didn't know it was uh, the Omega Institute was founded by a group of people from the Sufi organization, the Sufi Order in the West. And at the time, they had just rented some space down from the center they had in uh, New Lebanon, New York. And they invited us. This was a week long workshop. They invited folks to come up to the abode to have an introduction into the Sufi teachings. So I went and I, it seemed pretty interesting. I And uh, I felt, you know, some curiosity about it. And uh, when I went back home, I uh, picked up a book about the Sufi teachings, and it sort of really resonated. It felt like uh, it's something something I needed to further my my spiritual growth and, and inner transformation. And that was in 1980. 
And then I uh, found that there was a Sufi group in Pittsburgh and I hooked up with them and there were a coordinator led a few uh, training classes. And, and then a year later, I went up to a week long meditation retreat with, with Pierre Velayat at the abode of the message, the Sufi center that they had. And uh, just meeting Pierre and going through the practices and the meditation that he was teaching, I just, you know, I just, this, this is right. This is what I need for my soul, my growth for where I'm at. And, and then towards the end of the week, I accepted uh, initiation uh, into the Sufi war from, from Pierre Velayat. And then uh, for the next, I would say, good five or six years, uh, the Sufi trainings, the practices. I read probably a, you know a dozen books written from the teachings of uh, Hazard Anayat Khan, who was the founder of the Sufi Order in the West, and his son Pierre Velayat Anayat Khan, who was his successor. Read a lot of those books, contemplated on the teachings. I went to a number of retreats, either at the abode with Pierre Velayat and a couple retreats, various things led by uh, other teachers in the order. And, um, well, the specifics, oh, the one, uh, oh, Pierre Valai talks about, you know, the, the purposes of, of the Sufi practices. And he says, there's, there's three reasons we do this. One is for awakening to, 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 to rise so that we realize the reality of God within our being. And the second is to make make God a reality in our being by cultivating uh, what he calls aspects of the divine personality uh, so that, you know, we might know what compassion is, but to be compassionate, you know, requires uh, experience. You have to, you have to be, <laughs> have situations in life that allow you to be compassionate and then it becomes of your being. And then the third, he says, is to help us in our life in, in the, you know, the, the direction, the, the challenges that we all face. And, and a part of that process is a lot of what his father was teaching about mastery of the spiritual life is important, but, but it has to be followed by mastery of the material life. And we have to, you know, his a lot of his teachings is about, you know, fulfilling life's purpose, which is being in the world, being productive, being creative, finding your purpose in life. And what and what is preventing you from reaching that. And in a lot of uh, Pierre Velayat's in his uh, meditation practices and teachings, he, he stressed the importance of identifying the qualities that might be needed to solve problems that you're facing and, and, and how to cultivate those qualities. And, and one of the, uh, I think there's two, two ways to cultivate those qualities. One is, is through the Sufi practices of wazifas, which are in fact, mantras and, the, and their, um, the one Pio Valai gave me when I was initiated was Yakara. And Kara is one of the 99 names of Allah. I mean, there's more than 99 that's meant to be a, you know, an infinite number, but uh, it's generally given as 99. And these are, you know, Yarakman, Yavrahim, compassion, mercy, Yakara, which is inner power, then Yakadus, which is subtlety. And uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of them. There's a. <laughs> So one of the practices is is to uh, work with these qualities, and you don't just repeat them. You don't just go, you know, yahok, which is truth. Yahok, yahok. You know, what does truth mean? You know, reflect on it, do the practice, but then reflect how how to make truth in your being, you know, and then how to apply that in life so that you become a being of truth. So that's uh, that's one practice, one practice that helps cultivate those qualities, and another that that. Uh, 
that's stressed in the teachings is, is as Pierre Valides calls it, finding yourself in another yourself that expresses those qualities. And essentially it's finding a role model. You know, you, you want to be, you want to be a better decision maker. Well, who is it that's a good decision maker? How do they go about making decisions that are, you know, the right choices, the right, for the right direction at the right time, you know, and then try to attune into their personality or the characteristics. And, you know, and that could be, you know, it's certainly, you know, the master saints and prophets offer us tremendous uh, role models, uh, you know, but it could be people in everyday life, you know, uh, like my father, I draw a lot from his, his, uh, you know, as a supporter, sustainer, you know, focus and, and discipline. And from my, my mother, a lot of, you know, just compassion and love and caring, you know. So you, 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 uh, you learn from how others have succeeded in that quality. And then you, you know, imitate, master, apply it to your life. So that's beautiful. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it brings a tear to my eye a little bit because it's, it's really, what so many people are looking for after having undergone spontaneous awakenings. What next? What do I exactly. do with this? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, you know, what you just shared really um, captures it, you know, bringing that awakening into the, into the body and embodying those qualities, cultivating those qualities. And in the way that you described here through relationship, through role models, not necessarily, you know, I like how you didn't use the word spiritual teacher or guru, but mm -hmm. role model. And that can be anybody, right? Right. It, it seems like such a grounded and uh, practical path to spiritual development that isn't lofty or, you know, outside the the realm of, you know, real life in the world, right? Exactly. Well, that, that brings kind of to discussion the, the whole the thrust of the Sufi teachings is to be in the world, you know, and to make God a reality in our being, and to make the desires of our heart a reality in our being. And that the purpose of life, this creation, is so that God can experience what we have here. You know, the the Sufi, uh, the invocation given by Hazrat and Naya Khan is, you know, it's toward the one, the perfection of love, harmony, and beauty. Bring it in the world and, and accomplish. It's not out there, you know. You, you go out there to to breathe in these qualities, and, and and it's wonderful, you know. To at times just go there and rest and repose, you know. Being being in in a deep state of meditation is is necessary, you know. It's important that we do that, but you got to make it a reality, you know. And um, you know, Pirvalaya, and I mentioned this in that that other video that uh, the the other. Um, podcast that I did, he talks about four directions in meditation. And, and I think that for me has been a, a key focus of my life that I keep, you know, processing, you know, I call it the journey of the mystic, you know, you, you first, you know, go from outside within to to focus within yourself, de detachment, and then rise up, you know, get, get up to the, you know, uh, Rise to the heavenly spheres, you know, explore the landscapes of the soul. Uh, what, what's the reality of the divine? What, what is this up there? And then, you know, and then start breathing in those qualities, breathe in truth, love, compassion, grace, glory, you know, make it in. But then that's the incarnation, you know, that you have the resurrection and the incarnation, but then expressing it out, you know, radiate 
radiate it out, you know. And that's that's for me is you know something that I aspire to do in in a dance form that I'm in the process of developing is to uh, express through through movement and, and dance, you know, these these qualities, you know, joy, you know, we dance for joy, we, we dance for light, you know, expression of light, you know. And so it's, uh, and I, yeah, it's, as you mentioned, you know, talking about how dance has uh, been a vehicle to embody, not only embody the qualities, but then to express, express it out. I mean, I, I'm fortunate in that, for me, dance has been both, um, uh, the passion of my life. It's been, it's, uh, um, it's been the, uh, I, I consider myself an artist, you know, performing artist. I've been in a hundred performances with a dozen or so different dance groups, different styles, you know, but I still enjoy this, this improv, you know, there's dozens of methods now, teachers that you start their own, you know, the soul journey, the, the dance of oneness, there's five rhythms, uh, you know, the, dance your yoga, you know, every, every teacher comes up with some new name. And a lot of it is, is kind of doing what I first started doing when I first started to dance is, um, is to uh, just start moving the music that moves me, you know, and then as I learned, you know, different techniques, I, you know, study ballet, modern jazz, plus I uh, studied the numerous international folk dance forms, you know, I, uh, at one time I wanted to, um, study as many traditional classical forms of dance as possible and then synthesize those, evolve it into a new form of movement, similar to what uh, a lot of musicians have done, you know, particularly in the jazz world. They study world music, African rhythms, uh, you know, all sorts of things. They bring it out and it's a, it's a new form. So, um, yeah, I don't, yeah. <laughs> talk more about dance. It's Yeah, let's, uh, let's dive in a little bit about dance. Um, so, so there's many avenues that we can go. We can look at the creativity aspect, the embodiment aspect. But before that, I'm just curious. Um, so we know that Sufism, they have the whirling dervishes. Yes. Is that a practice that you ever explored? Uh, and and can you speak about your relationship with dance and and that Sufi practice itself? Is there some connection there? The uh, the whirling dervishes are part of the. Uh teaching or the branch of uh, the Mevlavi order founded by Rumi, Shiladin Rumi, the, the, the Persian poet. And um, I had some training in that two, on two occasions. I, I found that I got dizzy, but that's <laughs> it, it takes a, a, a while to learn the technique. <clears throat> and um, I do a uh, there's another a key practice that I that's still part of my 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 daily meditations. The zikr practice. Uh, zikr is uh, in it's a, it's called a remembrance remembrance of Allah. And there's many forms of zikr. The most common is the recitation of the phrase uh, La ilaha illallah. Um, the the uh, literal translation is there is no god but God. But the, but the mystics and the Sufi says that that, that, that all of the, that exists is God. There is nothing but God. So this is all. And and when you do the zikr practice, it incorporates a, uh, a sweeping of the head and around and your energy, you know, your attention goes around and then you center in the heart and then you rise it up. And then there's a, a who at the end, which is kind of a uh, 
trying to immerse a unity with, and then you breathe again, and then it starts, la, ilan, la, ilan, la. So I think, and the, it's a powerful practice. I, I, I try to do it at least 33 times a day. The, the traditional is to do it 99 times a day, but um, that in, involves the similar um, um, movement of energy as as the uh, the, the whirling dervishes. You, they do it with one hand extended upwards to receive, and then the left one is grounded. And uh, the the footwork it's it's a little intricate to, to get the right technique. But then you maintain uh, the focus here in 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 traditional dance and ballet. When you turn, you you do a you spot you you whip your head around so that you're always looking forward. But it, but in the uh, whirling dervish, it's it's maintaining your your direction of focus uh, slightly upward and and uh, uh, well the movements counterclockwise, but I uh, I think there's a similarity between the zikr practice because of the the movements here and and the dervish practice. Um, and I forgot what else you had asked about. <laughs> no, that that's great. I just was curious on any of your reflections between uh, dance and and the Sufi whirling. Um, so yes. when you dance, do you find a similar sort of energetic experience? Is that what you're looking for or engaging? Well, in? there's, I like the words of Pierre Valayad. He says, we're, we're looking for ecstasy, not, uh, um, what's that? Um, not euphoria, you know, mm. <laughs> and there's, there's, uh, I see, you know, some people dancing to these hardcore rock and roll and they're just, they get into this, you know, a euphoric state. I, 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 I don't, I don't enjoy just rock and roll pounding music, you know. So I try to attune to the music and express uh, through my body what's being expressed musically, you know. So I, I first have to attune to the music. And then it becomes a uh, kind of a, how, how I can express in dance what the music, what the, the composer has expressed in music so that there's a, a unity between the movement and the dance. And so if the dance or if the, if the music is, well, here's, here's an example. I was at a, uh, this was just a few years ago at one of the, it was one dance tribe. It was a collection of, of teachers during this, uh, improvised, improvisational, improvised, improvisation movement, uh, some five rhythms, azul dancing, uh, movement medicine, some of the teachers. So, so we were, uh, they played, you know, different pieces of music. And there was this one piece of music that I uh, listened to and it just felt, uh, it, it just took me away. I felt like I was on a journey, like uh, exploring. I was above the earth, not quite in the clouds, but just soaring above. And I, I just kind of tuned into that. It was, there's was, uh, some vocals, but it wasn't, it was in a different language and it was more melodic and, and the melodies just carried me away and I was just traveling. What, I, I didn't know what happened, you know, and what it was, you know, and, and afterwards I asked the, the teacher who was playing it, what, what was that music? And it was, it was some old, it was some, you know, a current musician, but going back to some old Irish Gaelic uh, rhythms and, and, and language and he wrote it uh, 
a week after a dear friend of his has passed away, and he was expressing the journey of that person's soul through the higher heavens as he progressed and left the earth. And I was like, wow, that's <laughs> that's what I felt. That's where I was going with my movement, you know. Wow. And one thing I might just might just say that, you know, I see other people at these uh, sessions that I that, that do the ecstatic dance and whatever, they're, they're very limited in their vocabulary of movement, you know. So the one thing for me, it's like a, a, a poetry, a poet, you know, and you have 10, 12 words is all you there's very limit to what you could express. I mean, you could certainly have a lot of depth in that, but if you have a vocabulary of a thousand words, well, your poetry is just going to be so much more richer, magnificent, more expressive, you know? So I think I have, you know, when I go to these freestyle dance sessions, you know, I just have a richer range of movement that I could draw from in expressing things. But but the feelings I think that I have and that the others in that group are experiencing are, are, are similar. There's a, uh, you're, you know, and I, I think they're doing the same thing. They're, they're finding what it is in the music and making that quality within the embodying it. And, uh, you know, and for a lot of people, I know um, the dance has a way of being liberating, you know, and healing. And, and I think that that comes um, more from the, uh, Ability, you know, again, as a meditation practice, it, it comes from the ability of detaching your mental state and just focusing on the movement and then the energies within your soul. And, and, and then it's just, it's free. Then, then you can, uh, kind of release whatever blocks you might have in that process. So great, great. So here we have another way to move through some of the blockages and, and some of the, the things that we're carrying and, and dance is, is a healing modality as well, like you're saying. Um, I'm curious, after your Kundalini awakening experience, this rising experience, did you go through any periods where you were sort of purging and purifying and burning things up, maybe using dance to, to facilitate that process? No, the, the, the most uh, um, significant effect, I think, of, of the awakening for me was to um, allow me to tune into my purpose in life and to avoid distractions. You know, I had, you know, a tendency to want to just, uh, you know, run off, join an agrarian spiritual community, you know, and just live in bliss, you know, but, but it was really a calling to find my, my, my life purpose, you know, and, and I uh, meandered a lot with, with dance and spirituality. You know, I've been a member of the sacred dance guild for many, many years. Um, but, you know, and I, you know, have performed in a church as part of a dance choir on, on one occasion. But, you know, I don't I don't want to use dance as worship. I don't want to dance the liturgical stories. You know, I uh, am, am trying to bring something at a different level with with dance. And I think the the awakening has allowed me to attune to uh, a different meaning in sacredness in movement, mm. you know. Because with without that awakening, well, oh, here's an example. I was at a, a sacred dance workshop many years ago, and, and one of the exercises one teacher was wanting us to um, uh, find a theme and construct some movement with with the Trinity. You know, so the Trinity. This she was a from a Catholic perspective. You know, the uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You know, the the three 
three gods and one god. And uh, and most of the people they, they there they said, oh, you know, the worshiping of the Trinity, the the uh, mystery of the Trinity, the uh, you know, magnificence of the Trinity. And, and I'm thinking, well, unity with the Trinity. And and the teacher, her jaw dropped. It was like, uh, okay, <laughs> it's like that is not, you know, unity with the tr Trinity is not a traditional <laughs> religious aspiration, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. and there was a musician working with us, you know, and she she caught on to it. I I forgot what her. I think she had a harp, and she was playing. She played the little thing, and then every every uh, occasionally she'd hit a a note. She says, yeah, and that's that's the unity. That's us inner intertwining with 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 the divine you know so oh, that, that's beautiful and that, that shows you know uh, many feel as mm -hmm. if god is up there separate to be worshipped yeah. and there's yes. a difference between the the mystical experience of god as yourself you know, right. not just you are god if you recognize that you're god you recognize everybody is god as well and that's that's the difference i think that this this awakening you know, brings us to uh, uh, through a direct experience. Sometimes people will wonder, you know, what's the difference between, you know, what are we talking about here? Is Sufism a religion? Is it an experience? You know, is Kundalini awakening? Is that some sort of religious thing? I like to think, no, it's 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 a, we're, it's direct experience that we're having here without belief, right? Right. Um, beautiful. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Union with uh, the Trinity. Of course, of course, we are included in that. Some would say it's blasphemy, though, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I know Pierre Vallée would. Uh, one time, he he said, you know, the traditionally the uh, Sufis are the the mystical branch of Islam, you know, and a lot of the traditional Muslims regard Sufis as heretics, you know. But then within the uh, the Sufi orders, you know, there's there's uh, there's several major branches, but there's like thirty different Sufi orders, and he says. Within the Sufi or orders, you know, the Sufi order in the West are somewhat regarded as heretics because of the way Hazrat and Icon has brought his message to the West in his way. So, and so Pierce says, well, we're heretics of heretics, you know, and that's <laughs> that's what we are. So, Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I, mean, will, I will say, though, for, for people that might be exploring Sufism is that my my uh, exposure background training is is based on the teaching of, of Hazrat and Khan, who brought the Sufi message to the West <clears throat> as the uh, Sufi order in the West. And, um, and there might, I mean, there's certainly a core that's the same as the Sufis uh, across all traditions, um, but there's, there's certainly a uniqueness to, to his, his approach and his prayers and teachings. And then his, you know, Pir Halaya has extended that into the realm of, Oh, physics, and uh, I mean, he gets into really what it is, what's the nature of consciousness, and what's, you know, where does the material become energy, which was consciousness, and then which was intelligence, you know, just this is the layers of of what the divine is, you know. I like what, um, there was a, uh, a Christian, um, I guess you'd call him a monk or brother, Brother Wayne Teasdale, he um passed away a few years ago but he he said humans he says we cannot comprehend the magnanimity of god you know i mean we try you know but to, to come to grips to really you know know it intellectually and and to be able to express in words that it's not going to happen 
Oh yeah, it's it's not going to happen. A dance can bring us close there. I was also interested in in your experience. So you've, you've been talking about dance and movement. You mentioned a little bit about stillness, but is there like do you have a meditation practice with just stillness, sort of uh, turning inwards, quietude? Is that part of your path? Yeah. Well, I I uh, I usually start off by uh, reciting one of the prayers uh, written by Hazard and Icon. Um, and then I'll start a zikr practice. And then after that, and, and this is a stage that uh, I think Pirbal I talks about is, 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 is you get into, you know, a good meditative state, and then you enter the, the contemplation phase, you know, where you start reflecting on what it is that has just transpired and how that comes into your life. You know, you don't, in a way, I'm not consciously thinking about it, but it just sort of evolves. Uh, and I follow follow what's being being happened, you know, and 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 then over the years, I I mean, there's been periods where I didn't meditate, you know, and I've had some diversions, distractions, and I certainly have made some mistakes. Um, but in times of crisis or confusion, you know, oh boy, I've I got to meditate, you know, this or stress or anxiety, you know, whatever, you know, I meditate, you know, and then. I get get into a deep meditation, and then it just uh, the problems and, and and issues. I think eventually become smaller, become solvable, dealable, and then I and I know intuitively, I guess how to how to uh, approach it, how to get through this experience. You know, so yeah, it's there is a you know a, a stillness in a, in a, of the mind, I guess, but then it becomes receptive to. Um, I don't know the inner voice. You know what's needed. You know and what quality or what what action needs to be taken on my part. Great, thank you for sharing that. That's it's 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 a great example of, you know, like I was sharing initially. My my intention here is to show that this path is quite universal, <clears throat> and so you described engaging in prayer a little bit of that, the zikr practice, the movement, and then it turns to sort of turning inwards into stillness. We see this in in the, in the India, in yoga as well. They do the asanas to prepare for seated meditation. Mm-hmm. We see it with Christian mystics. They're praying. Eventually they describe, you know, well, some, they describe the prayer just turns to silence and there's a yeah. inward sort of contemplative experience so all yeah. of these paths are they're, they're leading to the same place, uh, d- despite exactly. the, the practices are unique and exciting and different. And I think that's what keeps things interesting. You know, we're not all doing the same prayers, you know, around the world. They they come up uh, in, in such unique ways. But really, this is uh, it's a universal experience, this path of awakening, of, of uh, path of the mystic, the path of Kundalini awakening process. Um, so going back a little bit to Kundalini... As you're exploring Sufism, as you're exploring these practices, you seem to have a very uh, astute understanding of, of what it means to to embody and, and live these things out. This, this Kundalini awakening, is it still like a pinnacle experience in your life? And when you look at your overall path, do you think that has something to do with where you are today? Or oh. did you think that? Or was it just like oh, that another was, event? That was a... Uh a major uh transformative occurrence that that okay. really set the stage for everything afterwards you know it was it was a uh, and there was no going back i mean when 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 
in in alterable change in my consciousness and um it became uh well i, I call uh, it's it's you know i i read what you know people are describing you know non-dual consciousness and whatever you know and i don't like the term non-dual because it's like saying what color is that well it's not orange what, what, what does that mean <laughs> Is non-dual is it one is it three is it five yeah, i don't know but i think i you know when i read more about it i understand what 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 the concept is but but for me there uh, i think the, the 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 kundalini awakening kind of opened the portal into the consciousness that that uh that kind of infuses my my own individuality with with the divine and 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 the more i can draw in and make that part of my being the you know the the higher my uh i don't know uh, closeness to god becomes you know so at first it was you know i was i was me and you know my my little self was i, I had an ego and and i was what i was you know and then i as i over the years as i drew in more and relevant you know hazard and icon he, he says that uh, divinity is uh, human perfection and humanity is divine limitation you know so what we're what we're trying to do is to bring you know bring within our being the reality of god and ex and and not just knowing the reality but being making god a reality you know becoming the truth mm. and and that has to be in um you know you don't just sit there it's in it's it's in your actions your words the atmosphere you create in the presence of others that that shows how that has been embodied with you and um and it, it and it, again it comes into your you know the relationships your work your purpose in life which you know can change change over time but um and it's really that which um gives meaning and relevance to to us and um and it's really the purpose of of our existence is to uh bring heaven on earth to make god a reality you know to allow all the beauty the harmony the love to to, to flourish to prosper and uh you know to evolve you know this is a, a process individually and as a as a species right so so can we can we talk a little bit about relationships being you know the context for some of this to come out and and to you know cultivate i think the term you used you know cultivate uh you know divine aspects of your personality or cultivate a yeah. divine <clears throat> personality um once again it's it's just another place to embody and integrate and live out our spiritual awakening which is in relationships so throughout your life um i, I believe your your father yes one yeah, child so, Okay, so so something jumped out to me earlier in our conversation. You mentioned that um, Hazrat Anayat Khan, his son is his successor. Yes, I think that's very interesting because it. Uh, I mean, right there you have a clear example of what we would call in yoga, you know, a householder, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like you know pretty obvious that Hazrat Anayat Khan wasn't. Um, a an ascetic who kind of abandoned those mm -hmm. things but he was fully in the world and it seems just by what you shared there his son was his successor it seems i mean his family uh dynamic was also steeped in this sort of uh spiritual exploration 
Um, I just find that that's pretty fascinating. I, I know that some people out there are going through Kundalini Awakening and they have these questions, you know, what does this mean for my relationships? I can't relate with people as much as I used to anymore. Well, they think I'm crazy. How did you navigate these things knowing that, you know, you've been through something very significant? Yeah, I think what I found, and I think I think this was actually mentioned in something I read early on by, by Hazard and Icon. He says, uh, don't confront people with the differences. Find the commonality that bonds you together. And so in, in uh, you know, I've had, you know, a lot of close friendships from from work in in my information technology career and a lot from uh, social dancing that I've done, um, and 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 if I focus on um, I, I don't know purpose, you know the reason that we're together in, in a group, why you have one-on-one relationships is you're doing something together. It's it's for a purpose, you know. So if we focus our attention on why we are here, you know, at work we have a common purpose and a goal. You know, a lot of my work has been project-based. You know, we want to build a new system, install software, and and so there's a, a, a sharing of common purpose and then your own agreement, you know, or you have discussions, you know, how do we, how do we meet that goal? What do we need to do? Uh, is the path clear? Who needs to get involved? You know, so, so there's an energy and a movement and a focus that binds you together because you have a common purpose, a common vision, you know, and I, I felt that a lot with, with the dance groups that I've performed with, you know, we're, we're, we're rehearsing together, you know, and it's a struggle. We're learning together. We, we've, we are, become a community because of what we are trying to accomplish. So it's purpose directed. And so I think even in a um, uh, an individual relationship, a friendship, you know, you, you, you want to have someone uh, who cares about you, who understands you, you know, and, and they want, you know, it's reciprocal. It's, you know, well, I want, you know, as long as you care and understand me, you know, but, um, so I think having that common purpose and then not focusing on the differences. You know, I have a lot of relatives that I have some that are, you know, Trump supporters and we don't discuss that, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you know, it's going to be a divisive topic, you know, so you avoid it. You talk about your family, your cousins, what's happening at work, you know, you, you maintain that commonality and purpose and then, and then the, the heart opens up, you know, and then you could make a connection. Oh, that's beautiful. That is great, great advice. Because some people will go through these awakenings, you know, like you and I know, it's so significant and, and life changing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get in trapped in ideas of feeling I can't relate with anybody anymore. But you've given us a way to find out how we can relate. There's a common goal there. Yeah. I love that. I really love that. Yeah. Yeah. Because of course, yeah, it's awakening. go ahead, go ahead. I uh, tried explaining, uh, well, it was just to my mother. Uh, this was years ago when I first started getting involved with the Sufi practices and teachings. Um, one of the uh, uh, directions that Hazard and I Khan started was the unity of religious ideals. And he developed a service that incorporated uh, teachings of all the world's major religions. And um, he would have a service to, to do that. And one of the Sufi teachers, uh, senior teachers was, was in Pittsburgh and he met with a, uh, uh, kind of a progressive Catholic priest. And they did an interview together that was broadcast on, on the radio. And, 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 uh, they talked about the unity of religious ideals and the different faiths and, and how they, there's really a common 
you know, the forms and the structures might be different, but there's a the common essence is there. So I played that. It was about an hour, 45 minute, an hour interview. I played that for my mother, who was strong Catholic, uh, no exposure to any other teachings or religions. And it was disturbing for her. She uh, was not accustomed to anyone talking about truths in other religions, you know, and this is um, just, you know, so I, I learned from that, just, you know, don't definitely don't, uh, don't confront people with things that you might be excited about, you might have discovered that you know to be so magnificent, you know, just amazing, you know, share that with someone who <laughs> is not open to it, it's just going to cause conflict. Yeah, yeah I, I've I've been there as well. You know, <laughs> all of this is so exciting, right? And and you know, maybe you you come from a place of exciting excitement, wanting to share something you're passionate about, wanting to help another person. You know, you see they're in right. a place where they could use some of these teachings, and it's just not well received. And I think I think we all have to go through an experience of of re recognizing what you're saying. We don't have to confront people. We we find the common ground. I think that really is the answer. Um, yeah. Difficult lessons to go through, though, for sure. Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely have been there. Yeah. So, um, in in your in your working uh, career, you mentioned a little bit about uh, uh, working in IT um, software. This is another thing that comes up. You know, people have these awakenings, and then they say, "Well, you know, what am I supposed to do now?" Um, Am I supposed to become an author? Do I have to, you know, start preaching about this stuff? What do yeah. I do? And you know, some of us maybe will be called to be authors and speakers and whatnot, openly talking about, you know, awakening and Kundalini <clears throat> and stuff. But not everybody. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you found purpose and context for embodiment within your career? Well, I think. Um... Someone once said years ago, um, you know, he says, said that uh, by by the time you're 18, your your personality is pretty established, your interests, your training. You know. And so I'm thinking, uh, you know, in high school, I uh, was involved in, in speech and debate. I was involved in theater and I was also involved in student organizations as as a, a leader, a, a vice president of a couple groups and chairman of a committee. And. And so I had the, you know, I had this organizational leadership kind of capability. I, I had a talent for math and science. And I also had this artistic side with, with theater. And I did, uh, you know, oral interpretation of literature or poetry reading, you know. So I, uh, you know, my, my career path, you know, in college, I uh, first went to school of business uh, at Penn State. Um, Decided it wasn't for me. I kind of switched over to theater and you know, realized I wasn't a theater person. Um, and then got interested in um, economics, you know, but I didn't want to pursue a whole PhD thing. And then that's when I kind of became curious <clears throat> about the physiology of consciousness and uh, thought about starting over studying uh, neurobiology, you know, which, which I did. I worked for a couple of years, went back to, to study that as a field. And when I discovered dance, it was like, oh, my God. This is it, you know. Dance was, uh, you know, I was, you know, participated in many sports uh, when I was younger. I had 
gymnastics class at college that I enjoyed and, and dance seemed to be, you know, the, uh, what, the, it's what, you know, I could do bodily and artistically and whatever, you know, but I started, I was 25 when I, when I first started to dance and I, uh, you know, had, had, uh, when I went back to school to study neurobiology, I had already worked as a, a cost accountant initially and then as a programmer analyst. So I had these skills that I was successful at in the IT world. <clears throat> and then it became a, uh, for a few years, it was like, I want to dance, but I need to earn a living, you know. And there's a lot within the IT world that uh, I found enjoyable. You know, I, I uh, had a flair for systems design. I was a, a uh, was able to, uh, had a wide, you know, as later, I, I had a good vision of uh, a project success and what's required, you know, requirements definition, understand the purpose of systems development. And I, uh, you know, had a talent for it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a worth worthwhile career. You know, it was uh, it was a right livelihood, you know, to to improve the efficiency, the effectiveness of of the economy through more better information systems. And I had, uh, so it became, you know, like not my first choice. You know, I really wanted to be a professional dancer, have my own company, be a choreographer. But I knew that I I needed to have a way of earning a living, you know. And so the, the work in the computer field allowed me to not only have time because I was able to, for the most part, limit my my work activity to 40 hours a week. So it gave me evenings and weekends free, plus a comfortable living that I could go to workshops, take classes, you know, travel for, for different things. So it was sort of a, I mean, I left the, the computer field three times, you know, twice to try to pursue dance and once to go back to, to study neurobiology. But it was always a, a, a field that I enjoyed, had a talent for, and that I thought was, was a, uh, you know, a good, a uh, good contribution to society, you know, and, and I, uh, you know, and now it's, you know, I've been retired five years and it's given me a, a comfortable retirement. So it's it, right. And I would, uh, and I never, you know, I, I've been tempted to um, try to do more with dance and, and, but, but having, you know, and I was fortunate to have this got skill that was, readily uh marketable and uh you know i could i could go back to i could relocate if needed and whatever so uh, yeah it's it's been a, it's was a challenge at times uh juggling especially when when uh when i was married and, and had, a, had a child young child and still trying to meditate and dance you know dance got put way on the back burner when when you're raising a young child and we were uh my son uh my child's mother and i were divorced after just a few years so i was a half-time single parent um three or four days a week i had I was a full-time parent and then so it, it was a challenge and so the i think uh, i was fortunate in in that i had uh um good Good training, good opportunities, and and uh, uh, at a time in the field that it was it's, it's chaos now to be in IT. You know, I was in the early stages where we were still automating manual systems, and 
there was a lot of room for for creativity, new projects, uh, new technology was continuously evolving. And then I got out of the the technical field probably after eight or ten years, and I became more of a systems analyst, project leader, project manager, and uh, tended to use more higher level analytical design capabilities, managing people. You know, yeah. but it's a uh, it took, you know, what I think, you know, I had the, I had the, you know, the, the capacity for that throughout my educational uh, years and a talent, you know, for it. So, and, and it was engaging enough that I didn't feel that I needed to get away from it. So, right, right. Well, well, it strikes me, um, that's a very mm -hmm. balanced, life it seems like uh you had the the, the well, it was artistic... juggling too but at times it was balanced. yeah <laughs> but there's there's the artistic element of dance and having that sort of flow and then also the structure of a career uh you know working in, in it and it seems like a, a balanced life i think that's important as well for for embodiment for two uh artistic without the means to you know provide for ourselves then we can kind of you know lose our footing a little bit and if we're too yeah. focused on career we can lose touch with you know the more um you know fluid aspects of ourselves the, the energies that want to flow through art and whatnot it's yeah. been an, it's been a juggle for me as well to maintain some sort of um you know balance between being artistic and also you know getting things done and whatnot but i think some will benefit from from hearing your message out there that you know you weren't necessarily, you know, you had a very significant awakening and you know, incredible shifts have, have occurred in you and, and still you, you, uh, you know, kept it in the world. And I, and I think that give, will give some people permission to also continue on in the ways that, uh, you know, you know, the, the talents they've been given, um, will serve and that may be, yeah. you know, a job and maybe, you know, running a business or whatever it is. But that's a question that a lot of people, um, have, you know, is, what now? What next? What is my life? How am I going to make money? Um, you know, so many different options. Um, yeah. Going back a little bit mm -hmm. to relationships here. Um, do you have a relationship with with God in the sense of relating with God as a, as a, a feminine divine mother type uh, energy or presence or or goddess? Oh. It's very common. Um, in India and yoga, I'm just curious if you have a similar relationship. No, I I uh, definitely have a non non masculine, non feminine view. I know a, a lot of religions have God the Father, you know, and and that's never been um, strong for me. And then I I've it seems like there's too much of the divine feminine now being emphasized, you know. Partly be justifiably so, because in the past, so much of the <laughs> masculine qualities have been emphasized. But I really try to see the divine as uh, beyond sexuality. And, and it's only in uh, the human creation or in in the uh, life of, you know, all species of, of Earth that that male and female exists. But at the highest level. Um, there, there, there is no uh, masculine or feminine, and that certain qualities, because of how they have been implemented in 
as humans or in other species, instincts, you know, maternal instincts. There are certain feminine qualities that are, are there. And then <clears throat> there are certain uh, the masculine qualities, you know, generally the veneers in, in all species, animals, stronger. They're the providers, the protectors, you know. You know, but again, that's that's coming for me. That's that's just manifestations from the one source that Got was it. split and created. So, I I, uh, I I think of the qualities themselves and not not feminine qualities or masculine qualities. I I I really try to, as much as possible. Um, well, not not see not see the divine as or even the energy that like the kundalini it, you know i from what i understand it's traditionally the, the shakti with the kundalini you have the masculine and the feminine you know but you know that may be how it was initially uh created within us but once once that union was joined then it then it became right one you know it's is it there's there's a Hindu god form that has half masculine, half feminine that's supposed to represent the the integration of of those two and um, yeah, I, I actually get a little uh, oh, I have a lot of mixed emotions about it when uh, in dance, you know, there's there was uh, in fact just relatively recently a year ago, the Sacred Dance Guild was going to have this workshop five-day workshop in Bali and they talked about what they were going to do and I said, oh sounds wonderful I said I could really use going to a workshop you know pandemic is finally over and it's a women's only it's a the divine goddess and it's like <laughs> not 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 able to go because of a man it's like well the... <laughs> right right it's, it's interesting because um I, I personally relate with with the goddess, you know, Kundalini Shakti. I can mm -hmm. talk to her, and sometimes I'll, I'll hear back. And and in the same way that you're describing, you know, the other day I was tuning in and 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 speaking to her, and and I hear back. You know, who do you keep talking to? I am you. Yeah, yeah. Something hit me. You know, a little bit of that separation dissolved in that experience there. So I'm curious, you know, you mentioned tuning inwards and, and, and you'll receive intuitions and intuitive insights. Do you pray per se? Do you do you have a relationship where you speak to God? Though you know that, you know, you are God, God is not separate, but yeah. is there some sort of uh, dialogue still that, that you, you know, you pray in this way? Well, I do, do say one of those Sufi prayers regularly, and it is a... Uh, surrendering to the divine and when I do that I try to um, more think of that as who I will be in the future it's my future self it's the potential that I'm striving for so it's it's seeing if I completely unfurl the potentialities of my heart and soul that's what I'm <laughs> reaching for. Wow. And that's what I try to talk to my future self. Um, it's not going to be my future self. I'll be dead, long dead and gone before I ever. 
achieve all that uh, that's possible. Um, but that 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 is more how I think that it's that it's a uh, you know a further evolution of my potential that I'm reaching towards and and speaking towards. That's a really fascinating way of relating with you know the divine is seeing it as your future potential. And I think earlier in our conversation you said um, humanity is divine limitation. Limitation. That, yeah, yeah. So so you're speaking to your the limitless aspect of yourself the part of you that's yes it's not human per se and it's yes. not separate it's still an aspect of you i think that is uh that's significant for me especially on the brink of this realization i just had you know who are you talking to i am you yeah yeah right it's mm -hmm. it's limitless more expanded aspect of myself i really love that yeah I'm gonna have to to contemplate that some more, and I think uh, others out there listening will will as well. Yeah, and that might be. I'm, I'm just trying to think. I don't know if that's my own words or if that's something that I glean from Sufi teachings. I really don't know. <laughs> There's so many interesting ways of of interpreting this relationship with the divine. I have a conversation with Lila Sterling, and she says the deities are devoted to me. She says just as if just as i'm devoted to them they're also devoted to me mm. they're de they're my devotees because they're so ready to support and help and that's what they want to do is they're devoted to me and i thought that is another interesting way of just flipping the script and and, and re-examining this relationship with the divine in a new way and you've just given me another piece there you know it's 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 me in the future at my fullest potential love that i really do that's incredible so we've covered quite a bit of ground here yeah. talking about Sufism and and um, the heart-based path. So at this point in your journey, you know, your awakening happened, I believe you said 1976. Yeah. Yes. So uh, what's the next frontier for you? I, I know you mentioned you're your recent retiree. Is there some edge beyond which you're growing um is there a certain theme lately that you're that you're exploring with your practice um maybe you're just relaxing and you kind of just hanging out no. <laughs> well i uh the one thing i was looking forward to after my retirement was to have more time to devote to dance and then the pandemic i went to a couple workshops um uh one in one in new york one down in florida i guess it was two in new york um, I started to really feel like I, I want to do something with dance. I want to develop what it was, what it is that I can do at this point in my life. You know, I, I'm not going to be, uh, you know, choreographer for the New York City Ballet or, or anything, but what is it that I can do? And <clears throat> so I was starting to see what other people are doing. And um, I uh, choreographed a, a dance that I was going to have as a, a kind of an at-home meditation practice. And I showed it to a couple of my friends and, and uh, I was well-received. And, and then I was, uh, but one, one of my friends says, well, how are you going to teach that? You know, what, what is it that you're going to do now that you have this? And I said, well, I, I, uh, I need to find a different, a different venue other than solo, uh, solo practice. So I think I want, something that I could do with a group. And then 
there's an organization, uh, well, it's based in um, fin uh, Scotland, England, I don't know, uh, Sacred Circle Dancing. So essentially it's folk dancing, international folk dancing done in a circle, generally holding hands, but it's more themes of, of peace and compassion and and I said, well, there's a there's there's a uh, something that incorporates a lot of my past experience, which I could do in a in a group setting. So I said, that's you know, so I'll, I'll do I'll create dances that can be done in a group in a circle with the uh, using the kind of music that moves me. So these aren't the traditional, you know, Bulgarian <laughs> songs that are, have traditional dances. Uh, so, so I created another dance that I, uh, was based on a, a jazz thing from, uh, um, called Let There Be Light. And so I incorporated some, some Latin dance movements with some, uh, variations of, uh, Israeli, uh, uh, some steps there and whatever, and made a circle dance for that. And so that's kind of the direction I want to go. Um, right now, I've got some, I've got a bad knee injury that I'm slowly recovering from. I, the wear and tear dance takes on your body over the years uh, <laughs> eventually comes into play. So, <clears throat> but that's that's the that's what I think I'm going to continue to try to focus my attention on. And, and I'm still, you know. Most of my adult life, sadly, I've slept alone. I'm still looking for <laughs> a woman to uh, journey with. I'm seeing someone now that uh, has some potential, so I'm still seeing where that goes. Um, but uh, that's probably the two two main concerns. And my my uh, 25 year old still is living with me now, struggling with you know the failure to launch and has some issues there. And, so I still have some some responsibilities as a parent, but uh, that 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 has a uh, shorter time frame, I think. So right, right. Well, well, thanks yeah. for sharing uh, openly and 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 vulnerably. There, there's some exciting things going on, but there's a, a great example of you know, here you are, somebody who's very evolved, um, been through a lot of spiritual development, and you're currently awakened. Mm -hmm. um, I guess almost fifty years ago, yeah, forty-seven right? or something like that. Yeah. yeah, and 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 still there is ongoing exploration and work and growth and deepening of relationships and yeah. giving your gifts in new ways. I just mm -hmm. I just want to just showcase that and thank you for that. Just to show you know some people have this idea you know once Kundalini awakens you know uh they'll they'll just sit under a tree and just be enlightened and i yeah. know life goes on you know the, the the uh the ups and downs and the growth and the beauty of life continues and and exactly you know you're living a great example of that and that's what the sufi path um encompasses really from mm -hmm. what you've shared yes yeah wow so thank you. Thank you so much yeah, for I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been uh been enjoyable talking with you and uh I will try to support your work and um let people know what, what you're doing on your site and guidance you offer. I, I like your perspective in that you're you're uh listening to different voices and you're you're offering uh encouragement for people to find their own path and and to find yeah, that's, yeah that, that's really what we need. And and like I was sharing, you know, you've given us another 
little offshoot to explore, which is Sufism. And and I think there's some really, really valuable takeaways for some that are struggling on the path. Um, I think we all have different pieces to share with each other, uh, different pieces of the puzzle. And I've, I've got a lot today, especially that point about, you know, God is my future fullest potential. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to contemplate on that. I think a lot of people out there will as well as many, many uh, little nuggets that you've shared with us today. So thank you so much, Joe. I, I really appreciate your contributions today. Uh, your open heartedness to your path in general is such a great example of, uh, of somebody to travel with on this journey with great humility. And, um, like I said, very, uh, balanced, I, I sense great balanced energy in, uh, in your life yeah. and in your, in your personality and what you shared here today. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And so, uh, if, if others have any questions about anything, uh, to do with your journey, things, something you shared, uh, if they leave a comment, uh, you'll get back Surely. to them. Yeah. yeah, I would definitely like to to uh, offer whatever assistance I can, introduce people to specific books or teachings, questions they might have more about my background and uh, be willing to help. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and again, it's, I have more time now, I think, to offer myself as a mentor to those that find, find me of someone that they could uh, get some guidance from, so... Yeah. Great, great. I think uh, I think we need that. We we need some some people like you that have you know been through a lot and, and got some great wisdom to share. So what I'll do is I'll include your email in the uh, description as well, and and um, I'll, I'll leave it to you to decide how you'd like to you know approach that type of work. But nonetheless, thank you so much for for offering that. And um, I know you've also got a little bit of writing on the Kundalini Collective website. If those. Uh, yes interested would like to check that out um some some uh some beautiful uh explorations and reflections on the, on the sufi path for you and the practices that's i think that was the first piece that i read uh and i knew uh, i've got to talk to joe this is good stuff here <laughs> so so thank you thank you so much and and like i said here uh in the beginning check out uh, joe's interview on the kundalini collective for a for a deeper dive into your journey there's a lot that we've uh We've left out today, but a lot uh, mm -hmm. of interesting things that we cover. So once again, thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time, your energy today. And thank you to our audience as well for tuning in, spending some time with Joe and I hanging out. Appreciate you all as well. And until next time, much love and peace. Mm -hmm.